0: Well good evening and uh, welcome to the Disciple Livecast. Guys it is really great to have you with us if you are watching live, if you are tuning in via our YouTube or Facebook pages but we're also thrilled to have you if you're listening back sometime afterwards. Now just to say if you are a regular tuning into the Disciple you will know by now that we're really keen for you to join the conversation. Okay so please feel free to let us know where you are, let us know uh, kind of where you're tuning in from, which city or nation and then maybe you could even throw in your comments or your questions, your most welcome to uh, kind of join in in that way okay and uh, I particularly want to welcome those American friends who are celebrating the 4th of July right now shout out to you guys um, but in particular I know that many people around the world will be watching the football at the moment even though it's obviously the European Championships so listen I, I even know joining me this evening our uh, co-host Simon Holly you even <laughs> watched the football yesterday didn't you? I know I'm not known as the greatest
1: football watcher but Steve <laughs> I, you inspired me and you stirred me and I took my whole family to watch the football run some friends so that was uh that was good and we and we enjoyed it. We had a good oh it's nice when England win, isn't
0: it? It's always everyone's in a good mood, but obviously we recognize that there'll be people from lots of different nations who are going to be tuning into this, and so uh you know, I I have I've come to terms with the fact that Jesus wasn't English, uh, but at the same time, you know, celebrating the fact that we are doing very well. If you are from a different nation, though, uh great to have you with us. Do feel free to uh, to, to let us know. And uh, tonight. Simon, we've got an incredible guest with us all the way from South Africa. And uh, David Broderick, uh, you introduced me to some weeks ago now. and We've been uh, having dialogues and conversations and doing a kind of mini training course with David. And uh, he's been so provoking. And uh, I just want to, I guess, if, if you're watching right now and you're kind of thinking, what is this all about? Well, listen, we're all about looking to grow in how we make disciples who make disciples. And so for Simon and I, haven't we, we've been kind of wrestling with finding people right across the globe who are deep thinkers, men and women of God, who we can learn from and uh you know david's just one of those people isn't he who's who's kind of not satisfied and eager to grow and many years of experience in doing this and so um should we should we bring david in simon anything you want to say it's such such an honor to have him with us so yeah bring him in that'd be great fantastic david we're absolutely thrilled to have you with us thank you so much for for joining us this evening how are you this evening sir
2: thank you steve doing really great hi simon good good to see you again (laughs)
1: good to see you
0: well, David, listen, it really is a pleasure to have you with us. And, uh, you know, there'll be a bunch of people who are joining us and will ch- chip in, but some of whom, of course, won't know who you are. So I wonder whether you'd be willing, David, just uh, as we kick off the conversation to introduce yourself for those people who don't know you yet.
2: Yeah, my name is David Briderick. I live in uh, South Africa, which uh, if you don't know, that's uh, south of um, Africa. And um, I- I've been living here all my life and uh, been in ministry for 30 years. And uh, most of that time, been pursuing uh, the Book of Acts. Just been asking myself, what would it really look like to see the Book of Acts come alive in our day and age?
0: Yeah. And
2: uh, so, I lead an organization called Two Four Eight. Uh, the name speaks of multiplication: two become four, become eight, become sixteen, become thirty-two. And and that's pretty much what we do: we multiply movements of the gospel in cities around the world.
1: Well, that's great david and it's been uh i just need to do a little shout out to uh, someone who's joined us matt emmanuel matt and emmanuel trefcon who are saying come on denmark which is just so rude they're fr- our french friends are <laughs> <laughs> getting, getting abuse in the comments
0: so I, I don't i don't know what to do with that <laughs>
1: That's just so wrong <laughs> but david it's just great to have you with us and to hear um just you've taught us so much over the last few, few months since we've connected but why don't you just um kind of catch people up with uh something of the the, the journey you've had in making disciples perhaps some of the stories some of the things that you've realized that haven't worked and some of the things that you've realized that have worked just give us a little bit of a let people catch people up with your your journey so far
2: yeah so like i said i've been in ministry for 30 years i've been on the mission field been in business been in pastoral work and uh, about 20 years ago i just went on this journey and and begin to began to ask myself what would this look like um we uh, moved to a new city and uh found myself pretty soon starting a normal traditional church you know in a building i don 't know how many of your views have been involved in church planting i think you're you 're a pretty aggressive church planting network, mm. um, but I found myself a few years later you know I was the musician and I was the uh, you know the usher, and I was the pastor, and I was backing the chairs and you know I was planting this new church and in a school hall, and uh, we were about to um, look for a building we're about to you know look out and say how do we grow bigger and what do we do and how do we establish and i the lord just called me back to the very reason that i had gone there mm-hmm. and uh, really the one sunday morning i was standing and, and preaching and uh, while i was talking it was like in my mind i went up into the sky and and i went higher and higher and i looked down over my whole city And uh, really where I was living then, I've moved since then, I've moved about two months ago, but I was living in Midrand and it was halfway between Johannesburg and Pretoria and surrounding me with 10 million people. And uh, just while I'm preaching, but my mind is elsewhere, um, I asked myself a question I've never asked before. I asked what would it actually take to impact the lives of 10 million people. Mm. And uh, until that point, I'd been asking, how can I grow my church? And I, and I, in that moment, I realized those are fundamentally two different questions. Yes. How do I grow my church and how do I reach my city are two different questions. And mm-hmm. I say to the leaders today, if you focus, if the, your first focus is to grow your church, you'll never reach your city. But if your first focus is to reach your city, your church will grow. Mm-hmm. And so um, the next day I took leave and uh, the Lord spoke to me in a very dramatic way while I was walking down one road. I just stopped and And the Lord called me back to obedience. He said, this is what I've called you to do. So I went back, uh, resigned from that church. We took a year. We exited out. And I went on this journey uh, to see what would it look like to see movements of the gospel uh, take place. And um, we stumbled forward for about three years until I met a a guy called David Watson, who was very, very uh, key and instrumental in my life. And for 10 years, David went into a mentoring relationship with me, really helped me and my team's to um, begin to build movements. And from there, it began to explode. And so we saw these explosive movements happen around Southern Africa. And uh, then I started to just travel. And uh, we, we saw the same kind of movement happen in Eurasia of, uh, I think, believe now is about 12,500 churches. And uh, then I began to ask myself, what would it take to reach the cities of the world? And what really impacted me was a graph on Wikipedia that showed global urbanization. Uh, the fact that uh, by the year 2050, 70% of the world will live in cities. Now, the European Commission has some other statistics, but what we know is that we're rapidly urbanizing. And, uh, the, you know, the European Commission statistics are even more aggressive. Mm-hmm. And so I looked at that and I said, that's, that's possibly in my lifetime. and And in my lifetime, you know, 70% of the world will live in cities. So... We were seeing these these multiplying movements all over the world, and I, I looked out and I said, "How many are happening in cities?" And uh, I couldn't find any, and so I said, "That's a crisis. That means that wherever the gospels rapidly, rapidly multiplying, is outside of this, you know, seventy percent of where the world will be." And I said, "That that's a problem." And so I basically gave the rest of my life to say, "I'm going to so I'm going to you know be at solving this problem." And, and so I went on that journey about 12 years ago, and, and I've been on that journey ever since. And, of course, you know, um, that includes Western nations. A lot of Western nations are uh, highly urbanized already. And uh, so we've been on this journey to really answer this question, which is a, a ridiculous question from, you know, a little guy in South Africa to ask, how do we reach the cities of the world? But that's what keeps me up at night. And um, the Lord's been doing some incredible things since then.
1: Yeah, fantastic, David. And what what would you say? Because um, I think that that question we've heard from a number of others—they their the shift of change of what can I do to what's it going to take to reach my area, my region, my nation. Um, that question is quite a provoking shift, isn't it, in leader in a leader's mind? What would you want to just talk a little bit more about that question? Because it can feel a little bit overwhelming. What's it going to take? Well, I, I don't know. It's almost like it's easier to you know, I'm just going to do what I can do kind of thing. that feels easy. And it can feel a little bit overwhelming to leaders. What would you say to someone who says, oh, I asked that question, David, but I feel overwhelmed by what's it going to take? How would you, how would you speak into that? Well,
2: I, I think, first of all, you, you, you've got to come to terms with the fact that the God who sent us on mission is, is way more invested in completing that mission than we are. Mm-hmm. And so um, we, we, we come in behind him. It's, mm-hmm. not, it's not like it rests on our shoulders. Yeah, But he does want us to partner with him in that mission. Hmm. And, and that means asking the bigger question, not just you know sitting in my little space and saying, I don't care about if the rest of the world or the rest of my city, I'm just going to look after my people. Because um, that God is after the whole city. That God is after all of mankind. That God is the same God that said, Adam, Adam, where are you? That uh, sent his son, whose son said, as the father sent me, so I send you. Mm -hmm. And so he's ascending God. And uh, but but here's the thing. He's not just ascending God. He goes before us and he goes behind us. And so here's the big thing about about being overwhelmed with with that mission. We have to realize something that um, Henry Blackaby made a a statement famous. He said God is already at work and it's our job to join him in his work. Uh, So that means we stop and we say, "Okay, if, if God is after the city, then surely he's at work. Hmm. Uh, it's surely it's not all dependent on me i mean if it's independent on me me david (laughs) we're really in trouble so you know it it can't be dependent on me what what is he doing and that's what so few pastors ask themselves number one how what does it take to reach the city and number two where is god at work in my city Hmm. what is he busy doing and how can i join him in that work and when we begin to realize that he takes us on this adventure and you know completing that mission is way bigger than our own effort Uh, or what we can do in our capacity so he doesn't he doesn't he's not this God that says you better get this right or you know it's over Mm -hmm. he's this God that says I'm doing it join me in this adventure Mm -hmm. and uh, you know I think that I I, I speak to so many church leaders today that are just caught in in what they would describe as that of a trap of ministry that is just you know the same old thing and the same old people and and it just drudges on week after week after week and and i'd say god invites us into a bigger story a bigger mission and it's really exciting It's an adventure
1: that's brilliant and Dave, why don't you just give us perhaps paint the picture for some of the things uh, you've obviously connected with lots of people around the world which others haven't got the privilege to connect with just share some of the stories of what you're seeing the lord doing what's exciting you about what god's doing and what he's up to at the moment
2: yeah, I think what's exciting, you know, just in Africa, we've, we've seen a lot happen in Africa. Uh, we work with uh, New Generations, which is a, a mission agency out of North America. And uh, that team that we've worked with has seen incredible work across um, East, Central, and West Africa. and uh, There's been books written about that, you know, um, that Thomas Nelson published. And just incredible stories coming out of that. So there's just too many stories to tell there. Um, but I, I know that in, in the South African scene, when I just began going and asking ourselves, what does this look like in the urban environment? Um, I, you know, my oldest disciple maker was a 95-year-old lady, and uh, she was looking after eight orphans and just began to disciple wow. these eight orphans. Wow. And um, every single day she'd sit and read scripture with them. And uh, her, her son was in prison for murder, and he got released. And uh, he comes home and he sits and he listens to her discipling these these eight orphans. And uh, the one day she has a stroke and she's on her bed and she's you know she's she's got a stroke. And so she calls one of our main disciple makers and he comes along and he prays for her and she's instantly healed. Wow! And and, and he looks at this and he says, "This happens, so I could follow Jesus." And he he literally falls on his knees there, gives his life to Jesus. And uh, he's known, he was known in the community as the guy that walked around with a stick beating all the children. Wow. And today he's the guy that used to walk with a stick but now walks with a Bible. Wow. And, you know, um, just incredible transformation that started happening in that community. Well, this old lady eventually died a couple of years later. And the story continues. That's so great because it's an older story, so the story continues. And uh, uh, 600 people come to her funeral. And uh, we made a, a short video of the story. So they showed it and uh, they, sh- they made a call. They said, if this old lady can make disciples, what's your excuse? Who's ready? And 600 people stand up and they say, we're ready to go. Oh, and, and just this, this whole movement breaks out from a 95 year old lady. Uh, you know, my youngest disciple maker so far to this date was eight years old oh. uh, in the ridden streets of Cape Town. And uh, just an incredible young girl. Uh, when she took me to show me the park, the public park, where she was making disciples, we walked past blood splatter on the ground where there had been shootings the day before yeah. on the yeah. gang violence in this area. Eight-year-old girl. Um, so g- w- what excites me about this is God is working through the most ordinary people. And I don't use mm. that word in a derogatory way. I'm as ordinary as they come. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, we have created this... Um, you know, the separation between clergy and laity, what, um, what my wife tongue-in-cheek says, between laity and deity. And, and you know, uh, we, we've created this separation, and, and God is just wanting to break through ordinary people. I mean, uh, they look at Peter and John and said you know, well, how can this be? These are ordinary and unschooled right. yeah. people who have been with Jesus. And yeah. that's probably the thing that excites me the most, is how incredibly ordinary the people are that God is working through.
1: Yeah, that's great. David. Ian's, um, uh, Ian Parker's raised a question, which I think follows on with something you, you were saying, just kind of diving into that a little bit. He, his question is around, how do you find out what God's doing? How do you see what God's doing so that you can, you can, you can get involved with those things? Have you got some, some help for people, David? I'm sure you have to help people work out how they, how they work out what God's doing in their, in their, re, in their town or their city.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I, we, I wrestled with that for a long time. That, that kept me up at night. How can I see what God is doing? I mean, do I wait for a vision or a dream or, a, you know, a visitation from an angel or what do I do, you know? Um, and the one that dawned on me that the story of Scripture, if you look at Scripture, right from uh, Noah to Abraham to, uh, you know, Esther to Paul, when God was about to do something, he was always raising up a person. He was always raising up an individual. That's how you know God is at work in a community, in a house, in a village, in a part mm. of the city. Yeah. He's actually raising up people. And, and so when, when God wants to do something, he's raising up a person. And so uh, what we need to do is figure out how do we find that person. Uh, when we go to a house or, a, or an oikos, uh, which is a small group of people that are you know, friends or family, um, the scripture calls that person a person of peace. The person who's open to us, who's open to the gospel, uh, who's open to spiritual conversations, and is open to introducing their friends or family to spiritual conversations. Um, and so at, at every different sort of level and sector of society, there are these people. We personally give them different names and titles, but there are these people that God is raising up. And so uh, we, we go on a hunt for these people. It's like a treasure hunt. Can mm. I find this person that God is raising up? Because when I find them, um, that, that's where I want to stay. You know, mm. our, our problem often is we get obsessed with difficult people. We get obsessed <laughs> with people that, that, that give us, you know, don't aren't open. They, they're resistant. Or groups of people, they're resistant, you know. Mm. And, and it's very clear about what to do. He says, shake the dust off your feet, go to the next village. Mm. And so we train our church planters, find out where God is at work, you know. Maybe the, the, the place where you shook the dust off your feet and walked away. Maybe there's a time later when God is at work there. But go and find where God is at work. And when you find that house, Jesus says, stay there. Mm. Uh, stay in that house. And then he says something very interesting. This is Luke 10, by the way. He says something that is, is so profound because it's the very thing that we do. He says, do not go house to house. Mm. But stay in that house. Why, why is that? Because the redemption of a... Of a house or a village or a community is really around wrapped up in that person that God is raising up. God wants to work through that person, so look for the people that God is raising up.
1: That's so good, David.
0: There's an awful lot that's deeply profound in the midst of, midst of that, David, as well. It's kind of one of those where I'm thinking, need to re listen to kind of slow down on the listen to some of that again. Mm. Um, David, what I love about what you're saying is that it seems incredibly releasing. You know, look, God's building his church. He's already on the move. We're to partner with him and you know, be asking, you know, where, where he is. I mean, even the very mm-hmm. fact that you're kind of releasing people to, to not stick perhaps with some of the people they've been kind of holding on for, for a long time and, and it, frankly aren't the people of peace that we're looking for. But I mean, w- w- would you say in your estimation, David, that w- you feel like we have a, a discipleship crisis here in kind of the w- Western church? And I'd be interested in, in your kind of take and why you've come to that conclusion as well.
2: I came across an interesting survey by Christian Swartz and uh, a little while back, I think he's putting it in his latest book, but he made, he made the mistake of posting it up online and I came across a survey and uh, he did a survey of 20, 220 million people from 86 countries. Now, that, that's not a small survey. Uh, 220 million people from 86 countries is not a small survey. And, and they surveyed basically Christians, people that were in church over a period of time and they asked themselves... Um, if the longer people are in church, do they get more in love with Jesus or less in love with jesus that 's the essence mm-hmm. of the survey and it was shocking um people that were hundred percent in love with Jesus twenty years uh, later were only about thirty or forty percent in love with jesus and and right. and this was just you know this was just a, a technical survey that looks at like How much time you spend in prayer is the the bible speaking into your life is it powerful do i have life transforming encounters with jesus in different times in different areas of my life different so you know things like that and they found that the longer people are christians and church members the weaker their spirituality and commitment and eagerness to grow and and christian makes a statement he says whoever wants christianity to continue does not want it to continue as it is does not want it to continue Hmm. wow And, and and that's a that's a that's a frightening statement. Now you you, you kind of juxtapose that across um you know George Barner, who's done similar surveys in North America, and and one of their recent surveys said fifty-nine percent of young people who grow up in Christian churches end up walking away. Fifty nine percent of young people who grow up in Christian churches walk away. So Do I think there's a crisis? I I think there is because, first of all, common sense. There's not a partner that I speak to or a leader that I speak to today. And and what's interesting is that it's it's 10, 15 years ago in North America, they all thought they were still fine. Today, when I speak to leaders, they say we're in crisis. Just 10 years, I told them 10 years ago they were in crisis, but it wasn't that visible. Now it's visible. But it's not just North America. It's all over the world. Um, what is, what has happened is a disciple making crisis. Uh, we have become enamored with Christianity as a stage presence versus a disciple-making movement. And, and so we've got to get back to really discipling people and not just discipling people, but making disciples that make disciples that make disciples because just making one or two sterile disciples that will not complete the Great Commission. Yes. And so I, I think we do have a crisis. I think that the Lord is raising up. Uh, an answer to that. And what's interesting is that movement, that movement is coming from the fringes. And it always has. If you look at every revival, every movement of God in history, always it came from the fringes. It never comes from the center of power. It never comes from, you know, you know where the the, the main leaders are in the limelight. It always comes from the fringes. And it's coming out of Africa. It's coming out of Asia. It's coming out of these places. And it's moving in and it's beginning right now in the last couple of years to move into the cities and into the western nations and it's really exciting.
0: Yeah. It is exciting. I mean it's interesting, you know. I think had you have had this conversation with me a few years back, honestly, I think my first response would have been to be a bit defensive because, you know, it's it, certainly in, in in our church. I'm thrilled by the fact that there are lives being changed and we do see people, you know, get saved and and, and added and and have radical transformation, but Honestly, I've, even in this last kind of 18 months, it kind of, my eyes have been opened to the significance of some of the things that you're stating there. And, and those, those statistics David are obviously shocking. So, you know, where I would look back now is to think, yes, all right, so we've seen some addition, but we're certainly not seeing the multiplication that you're describing although I think we're all eager to have and I, I don't know I mean from my perspective I'd, I'd love for you to to speak for a moment on on how you know we, we've lent into addition and, and, and you know why that why that's a problem and, and and you know how we can start pursuing multiplication in the midst of it
2: well you know uh, Roy Moran a really good friend of mine in Kansas City um he he a couple of years ago we were talking and we were talking outside his church he started a, a great church in in Kansas City and and he looked at me and he said to me, David, I've given my life to this. I've built my, my life I've given to this. And, mm-hmm. and there's a few thousand members here. He says, if I look at my city and I ask myself, if I gave another lifetime to building another one of these, would it reach my city? Mm-hmm. And, of course, the answer is no. It's too expensive. It takes too long. <laughs> it, it doesn't go far enough. It doesn't change lives enough. Uh, it, doesn't, it does not penetrate into every sector of society. It creates a sacred, secular divide. There's just some serious problems that are wrong with the model. And listen, I I grew up, I became a believer in the 80s. I love church as it is. I really do. I love it. Uh, I have no criticism about it. It's just that when you look and you say, is it going to get the job done? And we're honest about that. It's not going to get the job done. And so we have to think about it differently. I think that um, as Christian leaders, we're pretty... I can say this: I'm South African, so no one cares. We're pretty stupid <laughs> when it comes to mathematics, you know. And, and here's the problem: we know how to add. You know, we've got a church of thou- a thousand people. One person gets saved, we all get excited.
0: Hmm.
2: Uh, well, does heaven get excited when one person saved? Yes, but heaven gets more excited when ten thousand are saved. Hmm. So you know, we add. A- addition is when you've got a thousand, you add one. Um, we're pretty good at subtraction. You know, I was a pastor. I know. I, I say things from the pulpit just, you know, by accident when people leave my church. We're pretty good at people saying you know, things that cause people to leave. We're mm-hmm. incredibly good at division. I mean, incredibly good. We literally have a, a church down not far from here that's split on the color of carpets. One wanted this color and one wanted that color. Wow. Really division. But we're mm-hmm. really bad at multiplication. The one thing that we should be doing well, we're not doing yeah. well. Yeah. And multiplications when two become four, four become eight, eight becomes sixteen, thirty-two, and and mm-hmm. so and and intentionally so, not not you know not by accident but intentionally so, mm-hmm. and and I believe that if we get back to just open the book of Acts, just see what is happening in the book of Acts, and look at the multiplication and begin to read between the lines, and and uh, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know sometimes we read the Gospels, and we're reading the red letters. In other words, we're reading what Jesus says. But sometimes we got to look at it and ask ourselves, what's he doing? Mm. What is he doing? what he's doing? Not just what is he saying, what's he doing? And you see that he's intentionally building a movement through everything that he's doing. Mm. He's preparing his disciples for this movement. Um, and, and when you begin to read that and begin to do that, I believe we can see that again today.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think that's what's exciting about what you're saying, David, is... And I think we've seen that, Stephen. We, we've seen the addition growth, and, and been pretty good at it, actually, as compared to others. You know, <laughs> when you compare yourself to Acts, then you realise. Ah, and even the disciples you are making are they actually multiplying to make others? And I think very often yeah. they're not. And that's not their fault, actually. That's our that's the that's our fault. That's not that's not their issue. That's our issue because we're not raising them. They're they're coming in. They're getting saved. All that they're doing what you're telling them to do. <laughs> So very often it's the reality is we're just not telling them to do the right things that will enable them to multiply. And I think this, um, it's just so provoking what you're saying, David, is making this multiplication central to not just how we operate as a community, but how we disciple individual believers that there's that expectation and that we're training them when the things that, you know, largely we weren't taught to multiply. So we're, of course, just passing that, just passing that on. And I think it's just really provoking what you're saying.
2: Yeah, I remember, you know, when my kids were young, and I was I was leading a church, and and I came home from you know preaching a great sermon. I thought I'd done a good job, pat myself on the back. <laughs> and I got I got convicted to to disciple my kids, and I sat down, and I preached a sermon at them. And and of course, you know what happens when you do that? You know, it's not very good reception. Amen. And I'm going, what what's what's going wrong? And it, and it hit me, it hit me that everyone in my congregation has no idea how to disciple because the only thing I've taught them is how to preach a sermon, a one-sided monologue. Mm. That's the only thing that i taught them. And then I look at at Jesus, and he so seldom has these monologues. He answers Mm. questions with questions. He answers questions with stories. He he has this dialogue, this constant debate, this discussion with people. He knows how to disciple, and I had no clue,
1: Mm. not a
2: clue. I had to go on this journey of figuring out how do I actually disciple somebody. Uh, you know, um, in kind of traditional Jewish thinking, um, teaching has a totally different meaning to what it means in the West today. Yeah. It, today, uh, in the West, we think we've taught uh, when we've said something. Yeah. Yeah. So teaching means saying something. You know, I can get up in front of some, you know, a group of people. I can speak and I can sit down, and I've, if I've said something, I've, te- I've taught. I've been a teacher. Uh, but that's not, that's not really what it meant in traditional Hebrew understanding. In traditional Hebrew understanding, uh, the, the teacher has taught when the student has applied. Hmm. And so whether you said something or didn't say something is absolutely irrelevant. I've only taught you when you've actually done something, when you've actually applied mm-hmm. what I've said, and you've come back. So, So are we are we discipling in that way? I don't think we are. I think we're getting up and we're saying something, and then we're getting down, and the next week we're getting up and saying something, and we're sitting down, and the next week we're saying something. And and, uh, a couple of years ago, my father, um, who is a a believer and our wonderful uh, parents that are believers, but my father uh, on a Wednesday called up almost everybody from the church that he belongs to, small church, community church, Called them up and he said to them, can you recall the topic of this last Sunday's sermon? Well, virtually nobody could. They couldn't remember the topic, Simon. The topic. You don't mind the content. not remember the topic. And, and, and you're going, there's got to be something very ineffective with the monologue way that we've wrote. Re- that's the primary thing we've relied on for people to actually grow in their faith is monologue. And it's been proven to be the most ineffective way of teaching. Hmm. And, and so something has to change. Something radically has to change uh, because ordinary people can't do it. Hmm. You know, we, we go to seminary for, you know, years and years and years, and then we learn how to teach, and you know, three-point sermons and illustrations and everything's perfectly placed. And so you, you know, spend all week preparing for it, and then you deliver it, then you spend all week preparing for it, and you deliver it, and everybody's. Hmm you know, excited about your sermon. But nobody can reproduce that. Nobody can do that. Well, if nobody can do it, how are we ever going to see a movement where oh, God is working through ordinary people? Yeah. We will see it. Yeah. And here's the problem, we're modeling the wrong thing. People will not do what we say. People will do what we do. Yeah. So we have to ask ourselves, how do we begin to model something different? Uh, and that's a deeply challenging thing because I've, you know, for many years was in pastoral ministry and started asking myself these difficult questions. Mm. How, how do I model something different? Um, how do I model something that ordinary people can do? How do I model a disciple-making method that is not based on knowledge or, or listening to someone but application because and, and obedience? Jesus says, you know, go into the world and to obey everything I've commanded you. If you love me, you'll obey all my commandments. So how do I teach people grace-based obedience? Mm-hmm. Not, knowledge, not the accumulation of knowledge, not memorizing the scripture. That's good, but it's not the end. The end is application, obedience. How do I teach people that? Uh, mm-hmm. And that's a whole journey that we have to go on. And, mm-hmm. and it, it, it's not the journey that I was on when I was trained in seminary and when I was pastoring churches. It was not the journey I was on. It's not what I was prepared for. Mm. Uh, I had to go back to, you know, kindergarten and start learning all over again. How do you make disciples that make disciples that make disciples? Mm.
1: That's really good, David. And just digging into a little bit into that, because I think that the, if, I, if I were, you know, the, the, the pushback from some people would say, well, Paul, ta- Paul taught people, you know, he preached until Eutychus fell asleep and fell out the window. <laughs> so what, what would you say to that? There clearly was a role for teaching in the New Testament. There's a, it even says some are teachers. How do you balance that with what you're saying? How do you kind of combine the two? I think the point you're probably making is it's, it's not either or, it's both and. But just just talk to that, talk to that a, a little bit and also talk about those who would say, yeah, but David, obedience based can so easily become legalism. You know, uh, you know, if we focus on the obedience without we've got to know, you know, you mentioned grace based obedience. Just talk about those kind of su- subjects as well. I think that'd be helpful for people. Well, it's interesting in
2: Scripture. You know that, that passage, We you, you, you go get a Strong's Concordance or type it into Google. Anyone can do it. Hmm. That, that passage where Paul taught them all night. Go and look at the word taught. Go and look at the Greek word of the word taught, and it will tell you everything. You know what the Greek word is? Dialegami. Hmm. Any idea what English word we got from what <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, Paul dialogued with them all night. They didn't yeah. get from his monologue they got tired because he'd been they'd been dialoguing so long yeah Uh, and and so there was it it was a dialogue he was having that was the style of new testament teaching all along right through yeah and you just have to read matthew mark Luke, john to to see that that was what it was it was this backwards and forwards discussion the whole time Mm. and so um you know, let's get to the second question. Ask me one question at a time, otherwise I get confused. Oh, yeah, sorry.
1: <laughs> so the second question was, was around the obedience space. Surely that's just going to lead us to legalism. You know, we've seen that happen in the church before where it just became so legalistic. If we focus just on obedience. Aren't you afraid of that, that side of uh, things coming into the church again?
2: Well, yeah, there's an interesting theological perspective there. So uh, what we often do is uh, we contrast uh, obedience with grace. We, we say that and the Old Testament was about obedience, New Testament about grace. Mm. That's not true. That's mm. not true. The Bible contrasts law with grace. There's a difference, mm-hmm. and and so the Old Testament uh, obedience was demanded by the law. In the New Testament, grace leads us to obedience. So Jesus says, if you love me, if you fall in love with me, the natural yes. outcome is going to be that you obey me. Uh, if you don 't obey me obviously there 's something wrong you don't you don 't actually love me so mm-hmm. so so this this idea that that Jesus calls us into a love relationship with him, yeah. that his love language towards us is grace and forgiveness, but our mm-hmm. love language to him we can 't forgive him we can 't give him grace. How do we show him that we love him by obedience For him. And, and so we we, we go God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do this? Where do you want me to go? and you know Jesus had to learn obedience through the things he said but I mean you know this he sets the model for that so mm. um, the, the the contrast in scripture is not uh, between obedience and grace it's between law and grace mm. uh, law demanded in a harsh way demanded obedience we, d- we don't want to go there and mm. and unfortunately so often when people talk about obedience that's where they go yeah. it's Demanded obedience, and, it, and here's the, the catch. It's, it's obedience to man-made laws and systems. It's yeah. 113 laws that the rabbis have you know, invented. It's man-made systems, and we do that today still. It's obedience to man and man-made systems. That, that, mm. That's twisted. But that doesn't do away with obedience. Jesus Jesus comes and he and he knows that the only way that we're going to really walk into the fullness of the blessing of God is through obedience so wow. so what does he do he comes and sets us free from those things that hold us back we, we he sets us free from being slaves to sin but we become slaves to <laughs> to God what does that mean yeah. it means that with that this this life this fullness of life is best lived out not when we just go... God, you've forgiven me so I can do whatever I want to, but no, you yeah. forgive me so I, because I've experienced this grace, I want to obey you, I want to love yeah. you. How do I do that we, we We listen to him, we read his scripture, and we begin to adjust our lives accordingly and yeah. and so that's I mean yeah. grace based obedience, it's different to law and 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 the demand of obedience, but yeah. he still invites
0: us in to obey
1: him yeah. that's so good, really David.
0: Good, David. Oh. Can I, can I ask you David earlier you mentioned about the fact that you know the the world is becoming more urban and um, there's this kind of reality, the fact that you said more and more people are moving to to major cities and so on I, I'm interested in how, how do you feel like that affects us but when I say us obviously I'm not just speaking about church leaders of, of which some of will be kind of tuning in right now, but as it were the the everyday disciple, the everyday person who's kind of you know w- 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 watching in who's thinking, look, you know how does this affect my work life, how does this affect my decisions I make with my family and so on
2: yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, if, if you look at uh, the world becoming urban, there's two big issues around that. Um, the, the first is urbanization. Urbanization is the global shift, the geographic shift of people from rural to urban environments. Uh, it's happening primarily, historically, cities are formed for economic reasons. That's the primary, you
0: know, sometimes.
2: Because there's a river or there's gold or whatever, but but you know, or a gold mine or whatever. But but primarily it's economic, people coming to cities for jobs mm. and or perceive that there's jobs, that, that there's some way of supporting their family. And it's even today, it's the same thing. So mm. cities are growing primarily for economic reasons. And and as cities grow, young people are moving to cities and leaving their extended family behind. So as these young people move into the cities. They come in without their extended family. Now, now, that's a sociological shift because if you go to a, a rural, a truly rural, and I don't know if the UK has anything truly rural anymore, but a truly rural setting, um, it, it's an extended family. So the grandmother mm-hmm. and the grandfather and from both sides and the uncles and the aunts, they all sort of live there together and they're a community. But what happens in historically in the urban environment is that the young person leaves and doesn't go back but leaves and moves to the city. And, and so young, young people move to these cities or young families move to these cities, and they don't have these relational connections anymore. So the very yeah. first thing that defines cities is social isolation. People yeah. are lonely. Um, and, and uh, you know, we're seeing a rise of suicide now with coronavirus, but that trend was going long before yeah. COVID-19. Uh, it's, it's, it's loneliness, it's extreme isolation and loneliness, yes. and that's a huge yes. struggle inside of cities. So that's a sociological shift, and and you have to ask yourself then, well, how does that affect uh, ministry or movement? And, and we can get to that in a moment, but that's, that's the first kind of shift that happens. Uh, the next shift that happens is you've got all these lonely, isolated people in cities without their families. Do they stay isolated? No, they don't. They actually find one another, and they reform new communities. Mm. But but here's the thing. Those new communities look different to the rural communities. They're formed around different things, and they they have different expressions. So why is all this important? Why is the way people relate to each other important? Um, Because movements are about the living word of God moving through natural social networks. And, and so that's what, a, that's what a movement is. It's the word of God coming alive. The Holy Spirit makes it alive in my heart. And, it, and it's so alive, I have to share it with someone else. And, and I share it with who? I share it with friends and family. And so if I don't have any friends and family, that's going to stop movement. If, yeah. if the way I relate to people is different, that's going to create a different channel for movement. So understanding the sociology of cities is extremely important to understanding how movements will happen in yeah. urban environments. Yeah. And so we do a lot of research and study on the sociology of movements and, and looking at things like complexity. Complexity is one of the biggest challenges in, in urban environments, is the challenge uh, to reaching cities is complexities. Yeah. Uh, These are unbelievably paralyzingly complex. Um, and so how do you overcome that complexity? Uh, what do you do? And we spend a lot of time looking at that. So looking at how people relate to each other, understanding complexity, and all of this to come down to what does it look like for a disciple to make a disciple that makes a disciple that makes a disciple. Mm. For every single person, it's got to be profoundly life-changing and profoundly simple to do. Mm. Uh, yes. So do the background work <laughs> to try and get it to that simplicity for every person.
1: Yeah. That's so good, David. And I think, I've, you know, one of the things that we've talked about uh, a number of times is just the, and you've really helped me on, is the complexity of cities and just how I think we, I just didn't, I knew it intuitively, but I didn't realize just how overwhelmed we all are living in, and even in, in, uh, you know, in the UK, in lar- we're in a la- large town, but it, it feels like a city, it operates like a city, it's got the same breakdown of social networks, It's the, it's the same kind of feeling, and I think just how everyone's drowning in the numbers of people we're just overwhelmed with and the thought of trying to reach the people we tried you know carving out by geography but that doesn't work because people don't even know their neighbors you know so so it sometimes works but largely that isn't how the gospel flows I've heard you use this term affinity and why don't you just unpack for people what that means and how that can help break down some of the complexity and help us understand how the gospel is going to move in in the new context that we find ourselves in
2: yeah so you know if we if we want to become effective at movements uh, and we become students of movements, we ask ourselves how does the gospel move naturally and uh, use a, a negative term for a positive thing virally um, in, inside of these networks now we 've got to understand these these networks what are, what do they look like um, and and uh, they're, they're again they 're complex so uh, if you look at any particular person if i uh, ask a group of people in a large um, auditorium, open your cell phone, and I do this often, open your cell phone, scroll through your contacts. How many of those contacts know one another? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very interesting. There's, there's, there's quite a lot of you know, networks that run out from us. So I have a, a group of people that are my friends that, that never speak to my colleagues at work, that never speak to my family. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually exist in several communities at a time, several, quite a few. Um, and, and then I choose some of those. So some of those are because of the way where I work or because of my neighbors or because of my family. But I choose some of them. And in the city, I choose them often around common interest, need or cause. So I, I like the same things. So we like to cycle. We like uh, a CrossFit. Uh, we like the same food, whatever it is. And so we, we form a community uh, around that. Some of these go online. Some of these go offline around common interest, common need, we have the same problem. So in South Africa, there's a high crime rate, so people form communities to fight crime. Or as common cause, you know, save the whales or um, be woke (laughs) whatever it is these days. But there's there's this common cause, you know, political cause or whatever it is, people form these communities for these different reasons. Um, So if we begin to look at those, and we say, what, what, what is common in all of these? Um, we've just formed this, we've termed this common uh, word affinity, uh, which is basically any way that people associate together and form some kind of group or community. So Here's the thing. If you want to be a student of movement, if you want to be a practitioner of movement, one of the first things you've got to do is begin to get away from individual evangelism. You know, it's just about winning the one we've got to realize that the one is connected and and scripture is rich with us in in scripture it wasn't just the woman at the well it was a whole village it mm-hmm. wasn't the demoniac it was 10 cities
0: mm-hmm. and
2: and so the one is a gateway to the many and and so what is the many if i if i've got the one what is the many behind that one that i can also see reached and we've got to begin to think about that because the gospel moves through these networks What we historically did was we went to a group of people, we found the one, and then we said, come to my church. We disconnect them from the community completely. We put them in our church for five years, then put them through an evangelism course. By that time, we've taught them to act funny, to speak funny. They they pronounce God funny. And now we say, go back and win your friends and family who now want nothing to do with you because you've disassociated (laughs) with them for five years. And you've actually become weird. And, and now, and now you've, you've picked up a whole different Christian culture that is so alien from this group of people. Now go back and win them. That's why we've, been, we've, we've failed. And so um, in movements, we don't do that. We say uh, when you win the one, it's not about pulling them out of their affinity. It's about working through them to reach their affinity. Oh. Um, well, how can we do that? Because that's what the, that's what the living word does. Hmm. That comes alive in a person's heart so that it can move into that network that they're associated with, that affinity that they're associated with. Hmm. So good, oh, though.
0: David. Yeah. I mean, it, it is so good. I also feel like I've been punched in the face a couple of times in that <laughs> last section. You know, you could have suddenly deep, deeply aware of some of the things with, with great motivations, by the way, if you if you are watching this and it is, it is deeply provoking. And I think causes us doesn't it to ask the question about why are we doing what are we doing and is it being Mm. as fruitful as we want it to be which is honestly all of our hearts i remember david when i've heard you share before though that in the midst of all right well what do we do then where do we get started you're using these terms around brokenness and lostness and working out look for for the everyday person how we respond to to be able to find people's lostness first serving people's brokenness would would you mind sort of sharing a little bit about that for us Mm.
2: Yeah, so we have, we have a, a whole list of principles of God movements. Um, and, and what we did was we observed and we looked and we said um, from Scripture, of course, but then of what we see from the ground. Because so often when we read Scripture, we become blind to the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was educated to read Scripture a certain way through a certain paradigm. So when I look at it, I just, I just see it through that paradigm. So sometimes yeah. we can look at what God is doing on the earth and we see it through different lenses and then go back to scripture and say, ah, okay, now I see it totally differently. And it's, and it's true. What God is doing is actually happening. You know, that happened with Cornelius, right? The Holy Spirit gets, you know, poured out on these Gentiles and they go, ah, oh, is that what God's up to? So, you know, um, sometimes we can learn from from what we see. And, and as we began to look, we, we formed these principles and, and we formed this list of principles that we say these are what we observe. These are principles of God's movements of how they function. And and one of those is the kingdom of heaven moves towards brokenness and lostness. It moves towards both. Mm-hmm. Um, brokenness and lostness. Um, and so often in our modern Western world we've divided these. And so we have these nonprofits that work towards brokenness, but the gospel never comes in. Even with cr- Christian nonprofits, the, the gospel never comes. They don't make disciples. They're there to feed the hungry or to to you know help the poor or to you know, help the prisoner. That's what they—they're there for the physical, current needs of people. Uh, and then the Christians come along, totally disconnected, and they say, "Well, we're here for your eternal salvation, and, and we're not interested in brokenness." Yeah. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is both, yes. and when and, and both work together, that the, that the power of the kingdom is unleashed. So Jesus spends more time healing the sick than trying to get people saved. And uh, I say that with reservation, but you know he you, every time you open the pages of the bible he's healing a sick person he's hmm. he's looking at the current physical needs that are there and and so when we move towards people's brokenness they open the door for us to speak to their lostness
1: hmm.
2: and and so often what we've been taught is is individual stranger evangelism so you know hit the streets find the first you know, poor sucker that you can find, grab them and tell them they're going to go to hell. And, and you know, if they walk away from this conversation and a bus hits them, they're damned for eternity. And and this poor person is looking at you and saying, who are you and why should I listen to you? You mm. do not have the permission yet to speak to them. And so uh, if we move towards people's brokenness, you don't have to solve all their brokenness. You just have to move towards it. You, you just have sometimes... Moving towards people's brokenness is just a listening ear. Uh, But you've got to move towards their brokenness to be able to speak to their lostness. So these three Mm -hmm. concepts have been incredibly important in the urban uh, sphere. Understanding Mm -hmm. affinity. I'm not after the one. I'm after the entire network around the one. So what is that network? I have to understand affinity. Secondly, move towards their brokenness. What is the brokenness of that affinity? Move towards it. Thirdly, move towards their lostness and and if you do those three things you will begin to see movements in the western world
0: mm. and can you give people some examples david of some of those kind of brokenness areas that you would expect people to want to step toward
2: yeah so i, I still saw there was one question here about the diversity of south africa
0: mm. uh, yeah, yeah. A,
2: a gentleman he was very right uh, south africa is very diverse and so um but the cities of the world are diverse. They're incredibly diverse, uh, different languages, different self- socioeconomic backgrounds. And if, so if you look at socioe- socioeconomically, uh, we're working in the poorest of the poor, and the brokenness there is I need a plate of food. Uh, and so when coronavirus hit, what did we do? We mobilized like crazy. We mobilized to get workers out there to get food because we knew this wasn't just a disease crisis. This was an economic crisis. Mm. Um, but when we mobilized people out there with food, we taught them to, to show the love of Jesus and share the love of Jesus uh, and to make and multiply disciples. So we planted disciple-making groups in churches during that crisis. When other churches were shutting down, we were opening up churches because we were moving towards brokenness with a message for lostness. You know, There are a lot of churches that said, hey, we'll feed the poor. So they moved towards the brokenness and forgot all about the fact that they actually have to preach the gospel. Just like mm. conveniently forgot got there. It's a strange phenomenon in the church. I don't know what it is, but we want to preach the gospel in the building and then do good works outside the building. I, it's a strange thing. I don't get it. Um, and, and so uh, we move towards the brokenness. But here's, we're, we're also on the other side of the spectrum. And so we're working in uh, first world countries with the, with the very wealthy, people that are, that are very, very comfortable. Now, they mm. don't need... You, you can't go to them with a plate of food. So what do you go to them? You find their brokenness. Find their brokenness. And we found two key areas of brokenness in, in them. Purpose. They have no purpose. Uh, they, they say, I've got all the money in the world, but I don't know why I, I should carry on. I don't know what, what what's life about. I've got no purpose. I've accumulated all the stuff, but I've come to that place where, you know, a wise man in the Bible once said, it's meaningless. Meaningless. It's all meaningless. Mm. And so... I, i've come to their place it 's meaningless that's first area of brokenness. you can help them to f- rediscover and reconnect with purpose yes. that 's yes. a way to towards the, the kingdom secondly they 're broken in their relationships uh, they, they 're struggling with their with their marriages they 're mm. struggling with their friendships their kids are on drugs um, they're really struggling relationally well do you know any kind of uh, religion that has a great answer to Relationships, I I know, <laughs> you know. I mean, the kingdom of heaven is all about relationships. You know, love the Lord your God and love your neighbour as yourself. Uh, talks about marriage, talks about all these things. So you move towards that brokenness, uh, and then you bring the kingdom. So the, the brokenness is different in different in different spheres, in different places. Uh, we show a great video in our training of uh, um, in Afghanistan, war torn country. If, if you, in the video all the buildings are bombed and broken and it's just it's just a wreck i mean it's just an absolute wreck and a team comes in and they say we're going to move towards the brokenness and you think what are they going to do you know get concrete rebuild the buildings hmm. what are they going to do well uh, we look we look at it superficially we say the brokenness is broken buildings and you know torn across, torn people torn relationships people hmm. have lost family members they're missing limbs that's the brokenness but this team was wise enough to say the real brokenness uh, is that people have no hope. Hmm. So how can we move towards hope? So in the video, they buy skateboards. Hmm. and They go to the young people and they start a skateboard club. And the simple act of these young people conquering a skateboard gives them new hope. So they, their whole ministry is t- working uh, towards hope. So we have to correctly identify the brokenness and move towards it. And through that, the people give us permission to speak to mm. the lost.
1: Mm. So good, David. I think so, so helpful. Are there any other kind of principles that you'd want to, just as we come into a close in a moment, from the life of Jesus, anything you'd wanna, else you'd want to highlight for people um, that we need to reread the words and the, and the works of Jesus and uh, take a fresh look at when it comes to our disciple making, particularly in the Western church?
2: Oh, wow, Steve. This, I'm, Simon, there's so many of them. <laughs> uh, but, you know, um, I, I think when it comes to making disciples that make disciples, one of the things that I've learned um, is to keep it simple. Mm. and ground level, keep it simple. Mm. Uh, Paul, Paul says, I fear that people will come and, and pull you away from the simplicity that's in Christ. Keep it simple. Mm. Mm. Um, and, and, and here's another thing I've learned is that the word of God is living, powerful, active, sharper than a two-edged sword. My teachings are not. Mm. And so uh, people aren't going to reproduce my teachings as much as they're going to reproduce scripture itself. Mm. And so it's sometimes so much more powerful mm. um, for me, that rather than me giving them another book that I wrote, take them to scripture. Mm. When I began to realize that, I started tearing up. You know all my training manuals and everything. I just started going with the Bible, and saying yeah. that this is the primary tool for making multiplying disciples because yeah. it's power, it's living, it's 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 sharper and active. It can separate soul from spirit. My interpretation of it is not. My teachings are not. Um, yeah. And sometimes we spend so much time trying to prepare the perfect sermon or the perfect teaching or the perfect presentation, and 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 we all that effort. Uh, and I'm not saying any of those things are wrong. I'm just drawing a contrast here. So I'm not I'm not knocking those things. But I think so often we forget that the power of disciple-making is in not connecting people to me, David, but mm. connecting to him, connecting yeah. people yes. to his word. And uh, that is the most powerful way to make and multiply disciples.
1: Yeah. That's really, really that's good, David. That's yeah. really provoking. I, I found... You know, I just a, just a comment, Stephen, then over to you. But I think um, even in my preaching, I've started to read this passage twice or get someone else to read it. I think even the simple act of reading the Scripture twice, uh, mm. you know, in Discovery Bible Study, we retell it as well. But even in a normal preach, just retelling the... Because what you forget as someone who's, who, who speaks a lot is you've been studying this all week, but most people have never probably read this passage before. And even those that have, it was years ago. So it just... Before you know it, they've read it and it's it's gone. And actually, even the simple act of rereading it, you know, reflecting on it, telling it, expanding it, just the passage itself, letting the, letting the word of God. I think since I've been speaking to you, just seeing in the Gospels how it says it's the word of God that multiplied. It's the word of God that multiplied. Yeah. And I've never seen it like that before. You always think, oh, it was the church that multiplied and even the disciples that multiplied. But it doesn't. It does say that. But it actually says the word of God itself multiplied. And I just don't think we've had enough focus on the multiplying nature of the word of God as you're as you're kind of expounding to us.
0: Yeah. Really good. Steve. There's there's been a a variety of things, David, I think you've really helped us with in terms of of almost emphasising some of what we've also been hearing across the course of some of these livecasts. You know, the simplicity of the key, leaning on God's word, recognising that God's God's moving already and partnering with him. All of which are super strong. I mean, One of the questions I wanted to ask you, David, and I, and I think um, Ian, Ian summarized it in some ways with respect here. He, he said, you know, can we ask, you know, with, with many people that are set into Christian circles with little or no quality friendship and, and kind of outside connections. How do we encourage people to get out there? And so where I wanted to come in was, you know, there'll be people, good hearted people, as we've already referenced, who are eager to think, look, how do I get started then, David? You know, what, what would your response be to them?
2: Figure out where God is sending you. You know, in in Luke chapter 10, God sends them. Mm. And and here's the thing. He sends them to every town and village where he's about to go. He doesn't send them first to houses, but to towns. So the big group of people, we call it an affinity. Who's the group of people that God is sending you to? Um, When when, you are going, where is he sending you? Mm. Um, When you get there, what what do you do? I'd say move towards the brokenness. Mm. So go and listen. How are they broken? Where are they broken? As how is God calling you to respond? Yeah. How is He calling you to move towards them and their brokenness? Mm. And as you do that, um, and, and let the Word of God become living and active in you. Mm. Don't I, you know? I spent so many years. I don't know how many gospel presentations I've memorized over the years, mm. and I've, I've forgotten most of them. But the reason I forgot them is because they don't work. You know, just a a memorized gospel presentation. Let me tell you this little picture of, you know, um, you know, sin and death. And it's great to help me understand the gospel, but it's, it's, it's relatively ineffective on a large scale, uh, mm. helping other people. Here's what works. Here's what works in evangelism. Sharing what's alive to you. When God speaks to you, makes scripture alive to you, it changes your life to say, hey, Steve, let me tell you something. I was reading this the other day. And it changed my life. Would you love to hear about it? You know, that's, what, that's the power that, that, that transforms. It's that living word of God. When the word of God comes alive, it transforms and changes so much so that I can't help share it. So move towards an affinity, move towards the brokenness, and begin to share that in a natural way, not a preachy way, but a natural way. You know, say a couple of things and then say, hey, Steve, what do you think about that? Get people to speak back to that, interact around that. Don't monologue, but interact.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And you, you just step
0: into a
1: disciple-making um, process. Yeah, so good, David.
0: Fantastic. Well, listen, as we come into a land, David, there's no doubt people have been deeply provoked by some of what you've shared and, and they'll be kind of scribbling note down notes, no doubt. Tell us how people can connect with you further, David, or in, you and your team in the midst of what you're doing.
2: Um, yeah, davidbridreg.org. Uh, you, i mean you can pretty much type in my name <laughs> I, I take great pleasure in saying you can google me but it's just because <laughs> there aren't too many brodericks in the world that i come up on the front page but um uh, david broderick david dot org, and um you pretty much hit me and uh you can contact me through that page and you know i'll be able to interact with you we do offer training and we take teams through training to help them in their cities We're working right now in 48 cities around the world and we're taking teams, helping them to multiply disciples, create movements in those different cities. So uh, all of that training is available. But the first step, just connect with me and uh, we can.
0: Fantastic. Listen, David, from my perspective, it's been so very helpful. Simon, anything you'd like to share as we close?
1: No, just to thank you, David. uh, Our previous conversation has been so helpful. I know this will have helped many people just to reframe their thinking about disciple making, about the word of God, about Obedience paid discipleship, just so so rich, thank you so much for your time tonight.
0: thank you so fantastic. Well, listen, if you have been uh, watching this evening, it's been such a pleasure to have you along for the ride with us and uh, particularly those people who have been from other nations, a whole bunch of people joining us from South Africa this evening, David. I don't know whether that's especially for you or whether that's just uh, kind of regular visitors, but from Guinea, from France, we've had people from uh, all over the place, actually a variety of places across the UK. And uh, we just want to say thank you so much for, for doing that. And David, it's been an absolute pleasure. So we will bring the live cast to a close just now and we will look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks so much, guys, and God bless.